You guys know I'm all about making our lives as easy as possible in sobriety. Well, you can eat stress-free this spring with Factor Meals, and they're offering my listeners 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month with code HAPPIEST50. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted and dietitian approved You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options plus more than 60 different add-ons. What I love so much about Factor is that I've never been someone who makes time for cooking, but with Factor, I have delicious meals ready to go and on the table in just two minutes so I can get back to doing what I want with my time without the hassle of any prep, cooking, or cleanup, a total godsend. Factor is also celebrating Earth Day all month long, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for their lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash happiest50 and use code happiest50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code happiest50 at factormeals.com slash happiest50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. There are so many amazing perks of being sober, and one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level, and it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, One Skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before, but let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I am excited about OneSkin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code HAPPIEST at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code HAPPIEST. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. I am coming at you today with our very first guest of 2024, and it is such a good one. Today, I'm chatting with Jen Hurst, who is honestly just such a freaking powerhouse in the sober community. And Jen's story, as you'll hear her say, really speaks to the fact that drinking is a progressive thing. And she really had to lose a lot to come to the decision to get sober. And she completely turned her life around. It is so, so inspiring. So we're going to get to hear that story from her today. We also chat about something that her and I both love chatting about, which is feeling our discomfort in sobriety. So we hear her top tips on how to navigate feeling our uncomfortable emotions, um, sober without alcohol. And also, Jen has a freaking killer, consistent morning routine. And if you listen to this podcast, and especially if you listened to last week's episode, then you know that I'm always aspiring to get a consistent morning routine going. So she shares so many great tips and motivation for that, which is so amazing because taking back control of our mornings is one of the best sobriety perks. So you're going to get so much out of this episode. I'm super excited to share it with you today. And with that being said, I won't make you wait any longer to hear it. So here's my chat with Jen. Hi, Jen. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Great. Staying warm. Oh, good. Good. I'm so, so happy to have you here. We just had the nicest little little chat before we hit record, and I'm super excited now for this combo. I know. We were like, oh, shoot, we should record, but I'm glad we're, we're ha- I know now. you were saying so many good things, and I was like, I should be recording this. <laughs> we'll just continue on. We'll just continue on the conversation. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, how, okay. So how have your, this episode's going to come out 
um, I think like second week of January, but we are in the holidays right now. So I'll ask quickly, how have your, how have your holidays been going? They've been going. It's, um, it's, it's, we were talking before this of how awesome it is, number one, to kind of relive the holidays and Christmas through your kids' eyes and Mm -hmm. making it special, moving that elf, all of those things. But yeah, and I think there's been these just such great moments that would never have happened if I was drinking. And these simple moments like watching my daughter play her Frosty the Snowman song for uh, people at the nursing homes and senior centers and having and witnessing them finding so much joy Mm. and seeing these kids play these songs. And it was just this warm feeling. And then also seeing like in up where I live in Minnesota, they have the Canadian Pacific train that comes through completely free to donate food for the food shelves. And Dallas Smith, who I've never heard of, they, him and some other woman kind of put on a concert for like 20 Oh, yeah, he's a Canadian and, country singer. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea. Like, you I were amazing. To him back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> and they opened the door. I'm like, okay, it's going to be, you know, some 60-year-olds playing some jingle bells. I'm like, oh, my God, this is rock and roll. And it was so great. And all everyone was so happy. And it was warm outside. And the town just got together. I live in a small town. And it was just so freaking cool Mm. and then watching my son do his orchestra performance watching the kids do their musical performance it's like god I I'm just I'm so happy that I get to experience that fully and be there be being able to remember that being able to remember to show up to get them ready to do those things because I think that's really what it's all about and of course I really love giving gifts I love to see the reaction on people's faces and I think it's so much fun. So I love, it's a crazy time of year. It's a busy time of year, but it's also some of the best memories that you'll ever make. Oh, that hit me right in my feels. Cause like I don't have kids, but I did grow up with like my mom sober. She's been sober for 40 years. So she's sober my whole life. And it's really, especially as I've gotten older that I've properly come to really appreciate how lucky I was, mm-hmm. how lucky I am um, to have grown up with a sober mom. So I always love hearing from parents because I'm like, oh, your kids are just so lucky. And it makes me feel so grateful that I got sober before before I've had kids um, yeah. because I, it's like what what a special thing to get to actually be present for all of that for such like an exciting time for them because there's nothing we were kind of saying this before we recorded but there's nothing like being a kid on Christmas and like feeling that magic and that excitement so to get to really relive it through them without alcohol is such a cool thing. And I always like what you were saying it kind of reminds me of Will Ferrell and Elf when you see Santa it's like that's the excitement that they feel over this day (laughs) and I'm like with you. And I'm so grateful because I know not a lot of people have that opportunity to get sober before they have kids. So I got sober at your age at 31. And I was lucky to be able to do that to show them this and also to get myself well before that. But I also know that if you do have kids, what an incredible opportunity to get sober, to have them watch you get sober, to go through something, but also to recover from something and how much that can have an impact on them in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I always like to reframe it that, yes, we can do things when we're parenting and that we regret when we're drinking, but we can also show them that they can get a 
front seat row of what alcohol can do, but also what sobriety can do. Yeah. And that is going to have such an impact in on them in a positive way by you being that example. And so, yeah, I'm very lucky to be able to do that and to do all of those things to make Christmas special for them and and for myself because I just think it's super fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that reframe. Yeah, because it doesn't like even if you're not someone who got sober before you had kids, like if you get sober and they watch you, like you are modeling that for them. You're modeling like making that change, improving your life, like doing something really, really hard. Like I always say I wouldn't have gotten sober because I got sober at 27 I know there's no chance in hell I would have gotten sober when I did if I didn't have not only a sober mom, but like she was very open with us always about like her drinking, about alcoholism. It was such a big conversation in our house. And I I know I wouldn't have gotten sober when I did if not for that. So that's amazing. 40 mm-hmm. years is absolutely incredible. I know. To have that she's, role. She was model. 21. God. <laughs> baby. I know. And back then? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I remember saying to her, I got sober at 27 and I said to her at one point, like, I still have some of my 20s left though. I don't know. And she was like, um, (laughs) hello. How do you think I felt? Oh my gosh. But I mean, just everything is changing right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. society's view, I mean, we're only at the beginning stages, but I think I mean, even studies have shown like more and more young people are choosing not to drink and choosing a, a wellness lifestyle or valuing their health. But I mean, you can also question, are they turning to other things too? But I think we're also, again, just beginning to start that conversation just to have conversations. I was just, me and my kids were watching the movie Switch on Netflix yesterday. I don't know if you've seen it with Jennifer Garner and Ed Helms. Oh, I did. We did. We watched that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we started watching it and I'm just so keen to point out the alcohol references in movies now. I'm like, oh my God. And so there was like a couple different alcohol references in that where I'm like, oh my God, that's inappropriate, Mm. but not inappropriate, but just knowing what I know now and seeing how much those subliminal messages can get imprinted into your brain. I'm just so cognizant of it, but also just to be so excited that we're starting to talk about it, that it's not this taboo subject anymore, that we can have conversations about it, that it's nothing to be ashamed about, that you don't need to have a problem to stop drinking. You can just begin to question, you know, what is it doing for me? What's my goal when I do it? How do I feel after I do it? Mm -hmm. And is this something I want to continue? And now when this episode airs, it's going to be in January, probably the second week in January. And so many people are going to be doing dry January, January, which is so cool. It's the Mm -hmm. busy, it's the most popular month of the year to go alcohol free. And what I love about it is that it makes it more inclusive. And just saying to someone, I'm doing dry January, doesn't mean you have to fully disclose to someone why. It just makes it more acceptable. And mm-hmm. so this is just a incredible time of year of where you can search hashtags like dry January. There's so many resources to help you on this journey. If you're taking a break and taking sobriety for a test drive, it's just an opportunity just to see how good you can feel without alcohol in your system for 31 days. Now, do I think 31 days is enough? No, but it offers enough of a break to experience those benefits of, you know, feeling better, better sleep, 
less anxiety, all of these mm-hmm. other things that can happen when you remove this from your body, you start to, or you get to experience all of these things that this one thing can ripple effect into. So just yes. like alcohol can ripple effect into many different aspects of our lives, sobriety can also do the same, which is really freaking cool. And I don't think you yes. will know that until you try it. A hundred percent. And I just love what you just said about how the conversation around alcohol is changing because I mean, like I've said this on this podcast a thousand times probably now, but like that was what made me feel like I could get sober was hearing sobriety being talked about in a different way than I had heard, you know, growing up and I come from like a family, you know, alcoholism everywhere Mm -hmm. in my family. So for me, when I started struggling with my drinking and with my relationship with alcohol, I would be like, well, am I an alcoholic? And I couldn't find the answer to that. It didn't feel like a yes, but it wasn't fully a no either, I don't think. And like, I just, once I heard people saying like, it doesn't matter. It's a spectrum. Like just really talking more about how does alcohol affect you? Once I was able to like get honest with myself about that, I was like, oh wait, like I can make it irrelevant whether I'm like the definition of an alcoholic and I can just decide to make this change. Like hearing it talked about differently is what empowered me to feel like I could get sober. So it's so like, that's what I just love having these conversations. And I love seeing the movement grow that much because of it, because it gives permission to those people who don't feel like they fit into that box to be like, oh, I can still just make this change, like to make my life better if I don't want to keep feeling this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm curious to hear about kind of your, your like story a little bit, your drinking days, like what kind of led you to sobriety? Were you more gray area? Do you like, how do you kind of identify? Yeah. And when it comes to that spectrum, you know, there's the, there's a kind of, you know, here and there drinkers, there's a gray area Mm -hmm. and then there's kind of the full blown, really heavy drinking. And so I fit in the full blown heavy drinking. But did my drinking start that way? No. Mm. And I kind of justified it for many years because my parents, I mean, we had alcoholism in the family from my grandfather, but my parents rarely drank ever. They had maybe one, two. And so our liquor cabinet was there for like 20 years because my parents just never drank really. And so that didn't really play a role but it just kind of continued to add up. And I would like to say from the moment I started to question whether I had a problem to the moment I actually got sober, that was a 10-year progression. Mm. But it didn't start that way. And I, like you, I didn't fit into this picture like I like I had imagined what an alcoholic would be or to even ask that for help because mm-hmm. as someone who was raised by a perfectionist family where image was important. My God, if people knew I had a problem with alcohol, what were they going to think of me then? As someone who got good grades, I always succeeded. I looked the part of success to now find out I am actually secretly drinking to manage the stress that I put on myself of these unrealistic expectations I mean, my pride was just too big. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I just hid it for so many years and I drank in secret. I struggled in secret, but it didn't start that way until it was, I think when I was 21, where it, my drinking really started from pain and heartbreak. And my second boyfriend wanted to go on a break. And 
that's through doing a usage history where I wrote down my history with alcohol, which I did in treatment, I was able to pinpoint the exact moment where that kind of shifted, where drinking became, it was just drinking with friends, just for social parties, college, normal drinking, and then it turned. Because when he did that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to feel the pain of my first heartbreak. Mm. And that was awful. And so I lived with a couple guys at the time in college in a house and they said, here. And they were abusing Adderall. And they said, if you take this, you're going to feel amazing. You're not going to think about him. You're going to feel like God. I remember them saying that. And I said, you know what? What the hell? I wasn't sleeping. My heart was racing. And I took it and I felt amazing. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. But was I addicted to Adderall from that point on? No. But it also gave me the idea, well, if that can make me feel amazing, alcohol can also make me take away all of this pain that I'm feeling right now over rejection, I think is Mm -hmm. really what it came down to. So from that moment forward, did I do that all the time? No. But anytime life got hard or because I'm an introvert, I have social anxiety. Anytime before I went to a party, before I went on a date, I would drink because I'd feel nervous. I'm like, I don't want to feel like this. I want to be outgoing. I want to be loose. I want to be fun. And I was always known as fun Jen. But did they know that I was drinking most of the time? And so it just really escalated until kind of the year leading up to my wedding and As a workaholic, I was just completely run down with all the things that I had to do. So working full-time, I did freelance full-time. I was planning my wedding by myself because I didn't want to ask for help. Mm. And I just would drink too because I was working all the time. And I love work, but I also don't know when to stop. And I was like, well, wine is like my little escape. That's me having fun. I'm just going to have a glass of wine to relax while I watch a show, while I work. And then it just progressively got worse and worse. And so when I do my before and after pictures, it's always me smiling. And you wouldn't even know I had a problem because I was really good at hiding it. And my husband, now husband, didn't even know. On our wedding day, little did people know. Yeah, I was smiling. I was a size two. I did everything I was supposed to. But little did they know I was taking Adderall to get everything done. I drank vodka in the morning. I was buzzed the entire day and I blacked out that night Mm. and so a couple days later I just completely collapsed I'm like I can't do this anymore I'm so exhausted and so began the year and a half journey of number one my husband finding out (laughs) a couple days later of oh my gosh what did I marry and then going into my first AA meeting drunk because that's all you know 12 years ago, that's all that existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was so scared. It was with these older guys. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And then realizing, okay, I need outpatient. AA is not working. Went into outpatient, then went into inpatient, you know, and I also switched to mouthwash. I switched to other forms of alcohol to not feel ashamed of going into a liquor store. Mm. And it really wasn't until, and I, I'm not going to say the outpatient and inpatient didn't help. They all were incredible opportunities for me to get mentally where I was done. But I wasn't done because I'm someone who has to push it. And I'm someone who had to try to make drinking work. So mm-hmm. somehow I just needed one last, one last try. And every time I tried, it just led straight back to where I was. 
And it wasn't until I started to lose things. And so when people say, you know, I haven't gotten a DWI, I I haven't got, I haven't lost my job. And I always like to say, just add the words yet to that. Because I thought that it wouldn't happen to me. If you continue drinking, those things will happen because drinking is progressive. It's addictive. And I started losing things. I lost my job. I lost my car. I got my second DWI. My husband kicked me out of our house. And I was staying with my parents and I physically, towards the end, I physically felt myself kind of shutting down. I was extremely underweight. I was taking Adderall. I was drinking. I was shaking. My withdrawals were so bad. I was throwing up blood. I went on things like Anabuse. I went on the naltrexone. I, I, li- I have literally tried everything mm-hmm. to get sober. And then it wasn't until literally I felt myself dying. And I know that's kind of grim, but I felt my hands going numb and I remember searching up cardiac arrest. I'm like, I don't know how much longer I have of me trying to make this work. And so uh, on April 23rd, 2013, my parents took me into detox because they found me. I don't remember. I blacked out at my parents' office because they had to keep tabs on me. And they brought me to detox and I blew a 0.34. And that didn't, that scared me because that's the way I'd been drinking for two years. And I'm like, how many other times? And I was, every day was a blackout. How many other times did I get away with it? And it was in detox where I just, I made the decision. And I'm like, my husband wasn't talking to me. I had to go to court the next day for my second DWI. I'm like, what am I doing? I was cheating UAs. And I won't tell you how I, well, I can tell you how I did it, but I don't want to give you any ideas <laughs> for anyone listening. And I'm just like, what the hell? And it was like, it kind of had like an out of body experience where mm-hmm. I looked down at myself on my bed, crippling with anxiety, shaking from all of the alcohol withdrawing from my body. And I just said, I'm done. I'm so freaking, and I won't swear on here, done. You can swear. And, okay. Fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and that's what it took for me and I was just like from that moment forward everything everything got easier to the point where I stopped trying to fight it mm. I stopped trying to make it work and I had a lot of shit to clean up I yeah. had a parole officer I had to do house arrest I had to do a day in jail I had to figure out I had to go to 30 days in inpatient treatment again. I had to figure out my car. I had to do an intoxilizer for two years. I had to get my plates back. I had to get my license reinstated, all of these things. But I'm like, I knew it within my heart that I was done, but I didn't expect anybody to believe me. I just kept showing up and doing and taking responsibility for what happened. And that, it just makes it so much easier once you just make that decision and you just you surrender. And I kind of gave up the outcome of, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if my husband and I are going to make it. I don't know if my family is going to talk to me again. I don't know if I'm going to get a job, but I just had faith that as long as I don't drink, everything's going to be okay. And everything's going to happen in the way it is. But I stopped trying to kill myself and I started trying, I started living is really, Mm -hmm. and um, it didn't happen overnight. But it's crazy what can happen when you stop putting this in your body because within, I did my inpatient stay and within a few months, 
within a month or two, I got a job. I just had a local printing shop. I biked there because I didn't have a car. And then I got, within three months, I got a job back in my field of graphic design. Within four months, I learned I was pregnant, which is something I really wanted, but I couldn't do because I couldn't take care of myself. We couldn't Mm -hmm. bring a baby into this world. And then six months, I got promoted and things just, and my having the birth of my son, he, he came six weeks early. So he came April 10th. My sobriety date is April 24th, but it was the best gift of like, look at what my body can do after years and years of abuse. I'm like hundred percent. I'm infertile. I mean, hands down, I, there's no way this body can produce a baby. And then to be able to create him and have him be the most amazing human being was like the golden ticket. I'm like, Oh, it was so amazing. And now is life perfect? No, but my God, it's a lot easier and a lot more manageable. And the fact that I'm now living life, I'm not escaping Mm it. I'm not being absent for it. I'm not running from it. I'm fully feeling feelings, whether they're good, bad, everything in between. And I'm not trying to fix them. I'm just trying to understand maybe where they're coming from. And now because I've created, been on this self-improvement path for the past six years, I'm now finding new tools to help me process things in a brand new way. Because when, from the moment I started drinking, which is the age of 15, I never really knew how to cope with things, how to talk Mm -hmm. to people, how to deal with a heartbreak and not drink over it. And those things I learned through the things I watched. Why was it that I thought that alcohol could help me with a breakup. Well, the stuff I watched. How did I think that I that smoking cigarettes? I, I I never did, but like I remember as a kid, I would roll these cigarettes with paper. I don't even know. And maybe I was in fourth grade, and I would pretend to smoke them. I'm like, where did I even get that idea? In the candy mm-hmm. cigarettes, it's like, how did that? Oh even my god, that, I remember fake right? smoking those. When I was I'm like, a kid. oh my god, yeah. I'm so cool. And I'm like, all of that stuff I learned. Mm-hmm. And so now it's the process of unlearning all of the things that I was being brainwashed to believe. And the more that I, every single day that I'm sober, I'm learning so much about myself and becoming not even okay with that person where it didn't start that way, but then learning to accept myself and now learning to love myself and then learning to respect myself, to respect Mm -hmm. my body for years and years of abuse, which is why I choose to move my body, which is why I choose to continually find ways to eat things that it likes and not eat things that it doesn't like, that it's, that it makes it bloated or things like that. And so I just want to take care of it because it took care of me for so many years. So, wow. yeah. What an inspiring freaking story. I absolutely love what you said about like the fact that you knew for probably 10 years before you quit that it was problematic. And that mm-hmm. question of like, if you feel like, oh, I haven't done this or I wasn't that bad, like adding the word yet onto it because mm-hmm. it is it is absolutely progressive, but it's really that like, I I love hearing everyone's different stories because it always just hits home the point that like, sometimes you're just not done until you're done. Like we yeah. all need to have our moment where we're like, enough is enough. Like I can't keep living this way. Right. And so it's just like, that's a really, really inspiring story. Um, 
I'm so curious, you know, it fascinates me that you came from a family where like image was very important and very like perfectionist and it felt like the worst thing in the world to have to admit that mm-hmm. you had a problem with alcohol. Like how did you go from that to doing what you do now of like sharing so openly online and inspiring other people about sobriety? How did how did that shift happen? Yeah. And that didn't happen overnight either. Mm -hmm. I like to think of my sobriety as two dates. So April 24th, 2013 is my sobriety date. Mm -hmm. But then September 7th, 2017 was the day I came out of the closet, of the sober closet. Oh, wow. So four years in the sober closet. Yeah. And I was living like very internet or from like people in your life or? Um, From the, for the internet. I think Mm. people in my life knew about what was going on. But they were so afraid to ask me. And I was like, why okay. don't you? I, I don't feel ashamed about it. And I wanted people to ask me, but they were so nervous mm-hmm. to ask about treatment. Or maybe they didn't care. I don't know. But I wanted to share that. And growing up, nothing wrong with AA. I always like to say this. I still mm-hmm. practice many of those principles. But staying anonymous kind of made me feel ashamed that I shouldn't proud of this that we don't we don't acknowledge each other we just kind of and maybe that's changing there was the one thing that I just didn't agree with and it kind of kept me in silence for so many years and I remember doing posts every year on my sobriety date and I wanted to share that because I was really it's the most important day of of my of the year for me and I treat Mm -hmm. it like my birthday they're a week apart but I don't care about my birthday I celebrate my soberversary as my birthday and I would post it, but I would hide people from Facebook. This is where I only yes. did Facebook. I'm like, don't, what if my coworkers saw? Blah. I used to do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. And I got to that point because it's so, I love, I credit Beachbody. And I, do you know what, what Beachbody mm-hmm. is? Okay. So I started as a Beachbody coach, which is not in my realm. I saw this random post sponsored to me from this woman and her transformation was incredible. I've always loved exercise, but I was like, wow, she, she is so strong. That is amazing. And I just started following her. I never do that to anybody. I'm like, what is she doing? I'm so interested to see how she got those muscles. I just, I'm really inspired by women with muscles and like biceps. And I just think that's incredible. And I am like, oh, she does beach body, which is something I did. And I, what I love about it is that you can work out from home. I didn't have to go to a gym, all of those things. And so after a week, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to become a coach. I, there's a reason I'm following her and I'm interested. And she went to like this beach body summit. And so I started, I signed up as a coach and I'm like, it's weird to do this, to put myself out there. And part of the things of being a coach is putting yourself out there on social, which was just not something I was used to. I would post pictures of my kids, but I would never post to myself. I never took pictures of myself. I struggled with very low self, self-esteem, self body image. I was mm-hmm. self-conscious. Um, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And within a week, I told my husband, I said, I can't expect people to trust what I'm trying to do if they don't understand a big part of my life. I think I'm going to come out. And so I just, I wrote the post in less than five minutes. I said, hey, I'm Jen. I'm an alcoholic, which I've just come to question the last week where I really now prefer just saying I'm alcohol free. 
Um, but I think it did help me in the beginning. I just don't like really using that term now. And mm-hmm. so I wrote it. I put a post of myself, of a picture of me. I threw it away. I posted it at night. I went into an AA meeting. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? And I didn't hide anybody. And I came back and I looked at it and it was nothing but love and encouragement. Aww. I'm so proud of you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, it was like a huge weight lifted. And I'm like, finally, I don't have to lie, not even lie, but just not hide anymore. And I didn't start posting about it every single day. I was still trying to help women lose weight for the next few years. I would just sprinkle in periods, like little tidbits of my sober journey before and afters, what I've learned. And I realized, I don't think women are interested. I think they are interested in losing weight, but I think they're more interested in how I got sober. And I'm like, Okay, so the one thing I didn't like to talk about or I didn't think I should talk about became now the one thing I love to talk about. So I'm like, I'm just going to start doing this more. And then it dawned on me in 2019, I think I'm supposed to be doing this for a living. I don't think I'm supposed to be doing I think exercise is a huge part of sobriety and it can help your sobriety and mental health in so many ways. But I, what if we can marry those two? And what if this is my thing and I'm supposed to help women get sober by telling them how I did it and the things I'm learning along the way? And so I started with private coaching and then I moved into group coaching, which is what I really wanted to do. And then I launched a membership this year and it's just kind of grown from there. And it's now my full-time thing where I love, and it also keeps me sober Yes. Because you're talking about it all the time. I know. And <laughs> yeah. you meet the most amazing women. I never would have mm-hmm. met you if, I know, if you and right? I didn't come out of the closet. Yeah. I never would have met, you know, the, the women in my membership and in my groups. All of these women who now I consider, like, some of my best friends. Mm-hmm. If I just wouldn't have made that decision. It's so crazy because one decision can be the difference between you doing this, you doing something something else but it can can change your entire life yeah and uh and so that like I said it was just breadcrumbs in the beginning and then now it started getting more and more to then it became my full-time job and my full-time career which is super cool because to see someone like you come to you and they're so so sad and they're so like just hopeless of, I don't, and they're so shameful about this and crying and just to help them move through this in a way that I wished would have existed 12 years ago. And then to see the light come on, to see the sparkle come back, to see them smiling is one of the coolest freaking things you can do in your career is to help someone save their own life. Wow. And the fact too that like, you had to be willing to kind of let go of your own shame about it in order to do that, right? Like I'm sure you were so scared and vulnerable like posting that and saying that. And I'm sure in doing that, you really released a lot of your sh- like old, old shame about the idea of admitting that you that you struggled, that you had a problem. And then in in really owning that, you get to help so many other people. Like it's just the coolest thing. And it really does keep you sober to help people. That's totally been my experience as well. Yeah. And it's like an online diary. 
Mm-hmm. And I think you've probably found the same. It it really helps lessen that shame you feel over your own story. And it feels so good to just get it out. And I encourage the women in my groups and even to those listening to start maybe a sober Instagram account or be completely anonymous just for your own personal use to start writing it out and to start connecting with other people that say, oh my gosh, me too. I really needed this because it helps both ways. And so you can do that until you feel a little bit more comfortable, until you feel ready to come out of the closet. But my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. Mm. I wish I would have done it sooner, but I also don't regret that it happened at that point that it did because that was the right time for me. Yeah. You're only ready until you're ready, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that really struck me as well, kind of listening to you tell your story, is one thing that I've noticed in following you and seeing your content, which I love so much, is you and I both talk a lot about the fact that being sober means feeling uncomfortable, means feeling all of our uncomfortable feelings. And so I found it fascinating to hear that what actually set your drinking on the path it went down was wanting to avoid uncomfortable feelings and the hard feelings of like a heartbreak. So how did you kind of come to accept that in sobriety and what what kind of coping mechanisms and tools did you put in place to really accept like okay, I'm going to have to feel everything and like yeah, how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah. And I've had some like hard emotions come up, especially the past couple of weeks where mm-hmm. I'm using new tools cuz sometimes the tools that you have don't work anymore or they're not enough. So honestly, okay, this sounds so dumb, but these hand warmers, these rechargeable hand warmers are oh. so helpful. I'm someone who's always cold. And I know now I'll get to the point of how this is helpful, but I'm always cold, but it, anything warm. So I know we're both drinking coffee right now. <laughs> yeah. Anything warm is going to help calm you down. Mm. Like taking a warm bath. This is why you really want to do those warm things at night. But having these and holding on to these is kind of like just giving myself a big hug. I love that. I don't think that's dumb. I think that's that's so smart. I love that. And it that triggers idea. your vagus nerve. So it Ooh. triggers kind of like this on-off switch to kind of calm down and go into parasympathetic or trigger your parasympathetic nervous system. And so warm things, like whether I get a cozy blanket drink something warm, like calming tea is really, really helpful. Holding something warm is really, really helpful. But the, I think something I say to myself when I'm feeling uncomfortable feelings is I'm not going to die. I know it sounds so stupid, but I'm like, it really gets me off the edge of fight or flight of, oh my God, this feeling is so much. I'm like, I'm not going to die. Everything's going to be all right. And just even saying to that to myself can be really helpful, but also just taking some really big, deep box breaths. And I know it's so simple, but so often we just do these reactive uh, decisions in the moment when all we have to do is just pause for a second, slow down our breathing, and take a deep breath. I, I practice this in my programs, as well as moving my body especially in the holidays this time of year, stuff is nuts, but I will not cancel my workouts. That is one of the best tools that I have to process emotions. And when I say workouts, I'm not saying you have to do HIIT, you have to do cardio. It can be as simple as going outside for a walk. 
And maybe you don't have 30 minutes, but could you do 10 minutes? I did this challenge for Sober October, which was the 10-minute walk. And there's so many benefits that can happen in just 10 minutes. But it's for it, it's to give yourself that break, to allow yourself to just feel those feelings. So when these things kind of happened a couple weeks ago, I went on a couple walks a day. It just helped me to feel better. It gave me that boost of dopamine and endorphins. It got me outside to get some vitamin D. I also called a friend to Mm. just seek that support in different ways. But I think movement, anything warm, box breathing, and even to journal, to just write down whatever is going on in your brain can be really, really helpful. And I think the answers are already inside of you. We just have to give ourselves enough time or five to 10 minutes to write it down to release it. So when things are really, when I have a lot of energy, I need to release that in some way. And so we can sit with that with box breathing, or I can move it through my body, whether it's a run, whether it's a walk or yoga, or any one of those things can help me just process it in a healthier way. So those are my go-tos to number one, telling yourself you're not going to die, something warm, moving your body and deep box breathing. Mm, I love that. How about you? Yeah. You know what? I'm a big, like, I'm also a, I can sit with this feeling similar to you. It's like, I always remember, like I can survive my emotions. Like the, I'm not going to die. I, I say like this feeling's not going to kill me. Like I can sit with it. Mm-hmm. I'm a big like talker. Like I need to I need to talk it out. I need to vent about it to like my mom, to my sisters, to whoever. Um, the walk thing I was going to say is so funny because I don't know if you have, – have you seen that trend? I feel like it's an old trend now, but like the TikTok trend of like going on my stupid little mental health walk. Yeah. And like it's so funny because it's true that it's almost this annoying thing that you're like, I know I should get out for a walk. And I for so long like resisted that. And then every time I do it, I'm like, damn it, this does help. Like you do feel so good just even just getting outside, like a walk around the block or like a walk to a coffee shop or something makes such a big difference. Yes. And even a little bit, five minutes, 10 Mm -hmm. minutes. And it's like you never regret going out for a walk ever. You never regret a workout, any of those things. But the hard part is just doing it. So you can do like the Mel Robbins 54321, just – Five, four, three, two, one yourself and just get up and go. Just do it. Mm. Knowing, and actually one thing I say to myself when I don't want to do something or if it's like negative 40 degrees here, like, you know what? I'm going to feel so awesome after. And I actually got that from a a guy by the name of John Acuff and he has this book called Soundtracks. And he's, I've found myself saying that a lot of, I'm going to feel so awesome after, or even before recording a podcast, if I'm nervous or before coaching, I can feel nervous and know that by the time I'm done, I'm going to get such a surge of energy. And I know I do it for that after feeling because I feel so awesome after. And so do it for the after feeling because the ROI of a workout of even just 10 minutes lasts far longer than 10 minutes, that 10 minute fake dopamine you get from a drink. Mm. So if you can just play that forward, you know what, I'm doing it because I'm going to feel so awesome after. Yeah. I've heard, um, I heard someone say one time, like sometimes action comes first and feelings follow. And it's like you, 
you you want to like feel up to doing the thing, but sometimes doing the thing is what's going to give you those feelings. Yeah. Um. But yeah, even find even with something like like um that you need to do that you don't feel up for doing that's going to feel good after like like cleaning up like tidying like cleaning the kitchen and loading the dishwasher like little things that you know that you you like want to work up the motivation to do them and sometimes it's just the doing them that actually gives you motivation and gives you like momentum um so I think that's good and knowing also when like you just need to slow down as well like sometimes what you do need to do is just not try to be productive or not try to do anything is something that I try to practice too. Yeah. One thing I really like to say to myself is, what do I need right now? Mm. You know, do I need to just rest? Do I need, as someone who's a go-getter, it's hard for me to back, you know, take the foot off the gas. Yeah. But it's like, maybe I just need to take a rest day. Maybe I need to sleep in. Maybe I need to go to bed earlier. Maybe I do need to take a nap. Maybe I need to leave the dishes be. Maybe Mm -hmm. I need to not try to be and schedule so many things. So understanding like what is my body telling me and what do I need most? I think the the, one of the most important things you can do for your tomorrow self is get a good night's sleep. Like that is number one in my book for your sobriety, for your mental health, all of those things is to really focus on sleep and asking again, when do you need to just take your foot off the gas? Say, I just need to sit here. I need to watch TV for like an hour or two. I just need mm-hmm. to take a break for a second. So yeah. that's that's also a really good point. Yeah. And it's hard to do sometimes. It really yeah. is hard to do, but super important. I always find that whenever I let myself take that break, like sometimes I feel guilty for it or I have so much to do. And when I'm really like, I need a freaking day, like I just need to not do anything today. The next day, I'm so much more motivated. I have so many new ideas. I'm like, feel more creative, like all the things. And it always reminds me like that rest is productive as well. Yes. It's like, what does um, every, there's this quote that's like, everything works better if you unplug it for a little bit or something. Mm, it's including like something, us. <laughs> yeah. Something yeah. like that is, it's hard to see the benefit. But even just taking a day off or taking a day off social or anything yeah, like that. Which is hard. Yeah, it is, right? Mm-hmm. I I mean, my phone is another thing I got to work on. Same. But doing that is can be so restorative for your productivity for mm-hmm. the next day. But it's it's hard to do. But for sure. Pelling that tape forward helps with that too. Yeah. Because it's true because it's like I loved what you just said about like the nice thing for your tomorrow self. That's also how I had to think about sobriety for the first while. When I was struggling to stay sober in the early days and I really wanted a drink, I had to be like, okay, what am I doing for myself tomorrow? Yeah. Like how do I want to feel tomorrow when I wake up? Yes. Um, that's one of the one of the most basic kind of sobriety things that just helped me get through. But then we can start thinking about life that way as well, like other life things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you always do it for your tomorrow self. Do it for the morning. Mm-hmm. Your sobriety. I mean, uh, is it worth the three to five days of withdrawal? It's It never is. And I swear those, the sobriety, the golden ticket is in the morning. The golden ticket is after a holiday and you wake up and you feel well rested mm-hmm. and you feel, you get out on your walk, you do your morning routine And that's really where sobriety pays off is you do it for the mornings. You do it for the sunrise. You do it for all of those things that we. Yes. And I even have my kids notice it. They're like, oh my God, 
Look at that sunrise. I mean, up here, and you're probably where you are too. The God, the sunrises are so beautiful right now. Mm-hmm. Like so many colors. And I would have missed that. Those are the things I missed or I wouldn't right? have been able to pick up on that. And that may sound woo woo, but it's, that's actually the natural joy that you get yes. in sobriety. You get to notice those simple things that it make you, that just make your day so much better. A hundred percent. I love that. I know. It's like seeing a pretty sunrise and being like, I would either be asleep or just hung over feeling like shit in a shame spiral yeah. and not able to take this in or having your morning coffee. Like those simple joys that sound like if you're listening to this and you're still drinking or you're in the early days, it sounds like <laughs> it sounds annoying and like kind of an eye roll, but it's true. Once you really start being able to feel like a natural high from life again, like that's yeah. that's the that's the best part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is such a perfect segue because we got talking before I hit record about morning time and you're someone who I aspire to be like because you wake up ridiculously early every day before 445, 430. What is it? Right now it varies. I was telling you that I was having a hard time adjusting to uh, daylight savings, but I slept till 440 today, which is a big deal for me. To sleep in? Yeah, sleeping in for me. <laughs> but it's so crazy. Even a couple years ago, maybe it was two to three years ago, I met a guy who was waking up at 4.30. I'm like, oh my God, I wake up at 5. I'm like, 4.30 seems really early. But it's just kind of, it keeps getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And I'm like, I just love my mornings so mm-hmm. much. I love, as an introvert, I love things to be quiet. I don't like to be interrupted because I'm kind of interrupted all day with kids and work and things like that. And so having that uninterrupted time to do the things that make me happy where they can't get sidetracked or they can't get put off the list, like that's the most important work that I do is the work that I do on myself. And so that's why I devote almost two hours to fueling my body and to fueling my day to give me the energy to do all of the things that I do is I wouldn't have that energy. I have to create it and I create it in the way of gratitude, of reading and of moving my body. And that is all done before my kids get up. And so they're likely to get up, if it was today, anytime between 6, 10 and 7 o'clock. So if I can do my most important work before then, I'm going to show up for them so much better. I'm going to have the energy to do this podcast so much better, to pour into my clients, my husband, all of those things. But I can't do that if I'm reacting to life and kind of playing catch up and then I'm frazzled first thing in the morning. But if I can give them the calm, happy mom that I aspire to be, that's what they deserve. And that's what everybody else deserves. And that's what I deserve. And that doesn't happen if I wake up later. Now, it doesn't matter kind of when you do, and I do a morning routine. I didn't even know what a morning routine was until 2017. And I read, I don't know if you read um, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. No, I need to. Oh my gosh. He's a, he's awesome. And he wakes up at, I think it's four. I, I'm pretty sure it's 4 a.m. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I didn't start that way, but I had two young kids and I just started waking up a little bit earlier and then a little bit earlier. And again, over the course of six years, it keeps getting just a little bit earlier because I value that time so much. It's like 
I always like to say it's my new happy hour because mm. I just love it. And um, I love moving my body because if I put those things off, anything could happen. Something could happen. The kids could get sick. Maybe a meeting comes up. Any number of things. But when I can do it first thing in the morning, number one, I don't have to think about it because I always know when I'm going to work out. It's always at the same time. I never have to set my alarm for different times. It's always at the same time. So it creates less decision fatigue for me of something I have to think about. Mm -hmm. I also don't have to think about the workouts I'm going to do because it's all just laid out for me. I'm like, okay, so today I did chest. I'm like, okay, great. I don't have to think about what I'm going to do. It's just, it fuels my cars, which is what I like to think of my body as. It fuels my car to give me the energy I need to run better. And I, it wasn't, again, until six years ago where I started to do that. And I started to notice the benefits of how I showed up. And the mornings that I don't do my routine, or if it's kind of wishy-washy, I mean, anything is better than nothing. I notice how much it can affect my day. And I think you were saying that too, is when yeah. you didn't kind of fall out of those routines. And I know with the holidays coming up and all of those, or maybe vacations where those can kind of go on the back burner, they can, it really can affect your mood. Mm -hmm. when you're used to that routine. So. Yeah. I love that. I really want, I feel like I've said this so many times because I'm always trying to get back. It's my struggle is getting into a consistent morning routine. And for me, that just means like waking up, maybe like meditating a little bit, writing in a gratitude journal, reading, like just like those kinds of things. Like I, whenever I try to get consistent with them, I notice such a difference in my Mm -hmm. day and in how I feel. And like when I fall off of them and then do them again, I'm like, oh yeah, like this makes me feel so much better. And I really think that sobriety makes us value our morning so much and we get to fall in love with the morning time, especially in the early days. I remember like in my early sobriety, almost like leaping out of bed with excitement when I survived my first like Saturday night. And then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I'm not like in a shame spiral right now. I'm not anxious right now. I remember my night. Like it really does, I think, shift how we get to experience our mornings. And so to get to actually take advantage of that to like set ourselves up for success for the day. Yeah. You know, no matter what that looks like for each one of us, um, is, is such a good sobriety perk. Right. And I always like to say, there's this quote, I think Robin Sharma said it. Oh, I love it. From the 5am club. It's Mm -hmm. like, if you own the morning, you own the day. And if you own the day, you own the week. And if you own the week, you own the month. If you own the month, you own the year. So take ownership of your mornings. Cause what I love about it is it's something that you can control to an extent. Now, if you have Mm -hmm. really young kids, that might not pertain to you. And that gives you an exception. So making sure, number one, that you're getting sleep, but it's something that you have control over. And like you said, it's so, so often what we missed out on during drinking Mm -hmm. because we were just spent it in bed. And so just kind of switching that me time from 8 p.m. to whatever time you get up, like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., that can make all the difference because then you can fuel yourself up can make better decisions throughout the day because you took care of yourself and that can have a really big impact of your on your sobriety if you mm-hmm. move your body you're like okay so I did that what else can I do today if or if you did a hard workout my god I did that and it gives you a boost of confidence it boosts your mood so you're probably might be gonna eat better and if you eat better you're gonna feel better and you're gonna have more energy and if you have more energy you might do this other thing or do this other thing and that's gonna boost your confidence so it's really the 
best ripple effect that you can have is to just wake up a little bit earlier. And if a half hour is too early right now, just try five minutes Mm -hmm. and be like, what can I do in five minutes? And I really recommend start a gratitude practice or um, read a book, whether it's Quitlet or um, just a personal development book while you drink your water or sip your coffee and just start there and see how you feel and just kind of keep rewinding the clock a little bit and a little bit and a little bit till you get to that ideal wake up time where you're like, if I could have a half hour, an hour to myself, ideally an hour, what could I do? What would I do? Now, not email, but something or not looking at your phone, but something that's really going to pour into you. Yeah. Something that's not about like productivity with work or anything, but about like what's going to, what's going to fill you up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Motivation for the new year for me or for tomorrow even. (laughs) Yeah. Just start with five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that's a thing. And like we were talking before we started recording this all or nothing mentality. Yes. Well, if I can't do it a half hour, an hour, I'm just not going to do it. it. But yes, I think I I keep quoting things. I think it's John Acuff Mm -hmm. that says decrease the goal, increase the effort, right? Mm. So decrease the goal, cut it in half. Could I do 15 minutes? Could I do, you know, James Clear in Atomic Habits, he always, he has this two minute rule. Could I do two minutes? And I know it sounds dumb, like, come on, two minutes, but really you have to establish and prove to yourself that you can do it before you can add on those minutes. So prove to yourself that you can do it, do two minutes. And when you do two minutes, there's a chance that you might want to do more. So if you can, or even a minute. Like if you do a minute of walking, a minute of movement, there's a good chance that you're going to want to continue. But the hard part is starting. So if you make even starting with the littlest amount of effort, you're more likely to do it and then to continue to do it. And then do it tomorrow. And Mm -hmm. then do it the next day. Just don't break that streak, but make it as easy as possible to start. And just yeah. to see how you can feel. And if you're like, no, screw it. I feel like crap when I do this in the morning. Okay, then go back. Go back to whatever you'd like. But just try it. I, mm-hmm. I really encourage you guys to just try it. It's I like it's that. Amazing. Starting really small and then building the momentum of that rather than starting with a really huge lofty, like I'm going to get up two hours earlier and do this, this, and this. Like wake up a few minutes earlier and sit and do a gratitude journal. Yeah, and see how and that it. feels and then see how it can snowball. Yeah, and you're like, you look at me. And that's going to give you confidence. Mm-hmm. And if you want, then do it with a habit tracker too. So you can see yourself. You can track and be like, okay, I did that. Okay, and then tomorrow I'm going to do gratitude again. And then maybe the next week you're like, okay, well, maybe I want to do 10 minutes. Or maybe I want to do six minutes instead of five. Okay, let's do that. And just to see yeah. how you can feel. And that's how you create these habits. And that's how you begin to feel better. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Oh my God. I feel like I could keep talking to you for a whole nother hour. Um, if you, if someone's listening, you know, especially after listening to your story and just like how far you've come, if someone is listening to this right now, maybe they are struggling with their drinking. Maybe they're in the very early days and they like, can't imagine like how life is going to feel sober like what would you what would you say to that person from where you are right now yeah well number one it's nothing to be ashamed about Mm. you know your body is just doing what it's supposed to and I really like to think of if by slipping if you were to go on this journey 
And slipping is actually a part of the process or data point or um, whatever you like to call it. But look at these as kind of learning opportunities for what you can do differently or change differently for next time. But some things I really like to tell people if they're thinking of starting or maybe you're just not ready to pull the trigger and give it a test drive, I really recommend giving it a test drive, you know, 30 days just to see how good you can feel. But number one, get reading. Mm. You got to start reading. So I really like, what's your favorite sobriety book? Um, I love a lot. I was like, I read so many in my early days, but I think my favorite is um, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober oh, by Catherine Gray. I yeah. How about yours? That's in my top three. Yeah. Um, that's actually our book club for this month. Mm. Uh, this Naked Mind by Annie Grace, just because that's it one of my top three. <laughs> yeah. It completely yep. changed my mindset of alcohol in 2018. I'm like, I never looked at alcohol as a drug before. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Isn't that wild? It's Same a drug. Here. I'm like, yeah. I've been taking drugs. <laughs> this is so crazy. So I always recommend <laughs> to start there. To just start reading because like Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you can do better. So mm-hmm. understand like we have to start to unbrainwash, reframe our mindset. And that happens yep. through understanding how people have done it, their tips and tools. And that is really the work in changing up and reframing how you look at this. Um, so start by reading, just understanding it more. You can start by just moving your body, by going on some walks, making sure you're in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say those are my top three tips. you got to have some women or men who are in your corner above all else to understand that you're not alone in this, which you are not. There's so many others. And you also don't need to have a problem to question yeah. your relationship with alcohol. And just to see, again, how good you can feel, just to experience it, and then you can decide. But again, one thing I, what I wanted to hear when I was in early sobriety was, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. Mm. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. Yeah. And that's that's all I wanted to hear because I didn't know. But it's a, yeah. all everything's going to be all right. So I know that was a lot of things. But no, I love that. <laughs> read above all else, read, get reading, move your body and find a community. Yeah. So good. Oh my gosh. Okay, before we wrap up, can you tell me where everyone can like find you and follow you and also about your community, like your membership? Yes. Um, well, I like to hang out on Instagram. You can find me at Jen Lee Hurst. Now, <laughs> I say Lee in there. I, I Someone took Jen Hurst. So I'm not like, my name's not Jen Lee. That's my middle name. But yeah, it's Jen Lee Hurst, J-E-N-L-E-E-H-I-R-S-T. And then I also have a Lighthouse Sobriety membership where it's a monthly membership for women where I coach monthly. We have daily meetings. We have a book club. We're going to, I have early sobriety calls, you know, in January, it's all about goal setting and we're going to be creating vision boards. Um, I'm trying to think of, we have workouts in there, nutrition, all of those things to kind of keep you sober and keep you connected in a community. I really like to make this fun and exciting. And I think sobriety is, should be fun and exciting and this incredible opportunity for all of us. It's an incredibly empowering decision. And then I also have my group coaching program. So I have my dry 100 that's going on right now for dry January and beyond. And then I host about three per year that people can join in on. Amazing. This was so, so good, Jen. I absolutely love this conversation. 
Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to keep chatting with you. Me too. We need a part two, I feel like. I feel like we just scratched the surface. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening this week. Be sure to give Jen a follow. Follow along on everything she's doing. I link everything she mentioned in the description of this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, then be sure to share it with a friend or share it on social media. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at happiestsober and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at happiestsober.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so I'll chat with you next week. I hope you have an amazing week. Remember that life's happiest when you're sober. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.